for my bar mitzvah project, I volunteered at a very under-resourced animal shelter. So a room about this big that had 300 cats in it. <laughs> and like that's, jumping onto you, attacking you. That sounds you. like a stage of hell for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Worst nightmare. 300 cats in one oh room. Oh my God, yeah. It was about the craziest thing ever. You're listening to Inside Skookum, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of a growing tech company. Today, Brad Schmidt and I sit down with product strategist Jeremy Arkin. Jeremy's out in our Denver office, but he originally joined the team as an intern in Charlotte. We talk about his path out to Denver, his windy road to Skookum, his love for pets, but also, but also you'll realize pretty quickly, Jeremy's a super smart guy who really genuinely likes to nerd out on the stuff he does at work, even in his personal life. Jeremy's a great guy, and I think you're really going to enjoy hearing his story. So without any further delay, let's get to know Jeremy Arkin. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. We are sitting down with Jeremy Arkin. You just moved here from Charlotte how long ago? Uh, July of last year. And uh, you don't live in Denver City proper, but you live in Lakewood. And, And why is that? It's my big heart. And my big heart <laughs> led me to adopt a 10-year-old Pipple Terrier mix from Austin. And Denver, a very friendly, uh, dog-centric city, as most people would regard it, actually has a 30-year ban in place on Pipples. And most recently, that van was repealed, voted on a 7-4 vote, which is a huge deal, until the mayor of Denver vetoed it in his first veto ever. And then, No way. City Council attempted to overturn that vote and was one vote short. So now I'm relegated to the sticks of Denver, as we call it. Like, wow. Um, but I got the award at the uh, the company party. That, that's true. Right. We did give. Thanks we to gave, you two. Yeah. We gave Arkin an award for uh, wanting to get to Denver. <laughs> one of his lifelong <laughs> dreams was to live in Denver, moves out to Denver, but can't live in Denver because he's got this pit bull. Yeah. Oliver is a, uh, he was one of those things I jumped into head first and my mom was like, you, you want to wait until you get a job after grad school? <laughs> I was like, if I leave, I will never take this dog with me. I've got to do it. And he's been the... Uh, a constant reminder of, <laughs> of that decision. So, no, did you know? Did you know this uh, about the law before you moved out here? Do you find this out like when you once you came here? Uh, I found it out while apartment hunting after. It, oh, really? <laughs> with Skookum to moving out here, so yeah, so oh, that was a little man. bit of a bummer, but we so, make it work. And so, Jeremy, for the folks that don't know you, uh, what do you do at Skookum? Uh, I am a product strategist on our digital strategy and customer experience team. Nice. Yeah. Walk us through. Uh, walk us through your background. How did you get to Skookum? Because your background is not in product strategy. Far from it. Yeah. Um, how far are we going? Are we going like childhood dreams of my aspirations to be a vet, or like, like once I oh, so you learned to be a vet. That I wanna, that actually makes sense. No, no, See? it does. I've I've always had a sweet spot for animals. Yeah. Um, for my bar mitzvah project, I volunteered at a very under-resourced animal shelter. So a room about this big that had 300 cats in it. <laughs> and like that's, jumping onto you, attacking that you. Like that sounds like a stage of hell for like me. That sounds like my yeah. worst, worst <laughs> nightmare. 300 cats in one oh room. Oh my God, yeah. It was about the craziest thing ever. And wow. so I uh, had veterinary aspirations and then kind of, I think, like high school realized that like maybe not the most desirable career path and was like refocused that to the classic quote-unquote pre-med and I think I was always like I was always the Lego kid um like wrote my wrote my uh college essay about Legos and things like that so it was like point being that was I was always an engineer but had medical aspirations I was like great I'll be pre-med and I'll go to school for biomedical engineering 
freshman year got a C plus in gen chem. And that was like, you will not be a doctor. And I was like, <laughs> it's like great. So I went on to continue enjoying school for three years. And then uh, at the end of school, really did not know what you could do with a bachelor's in biomedical engineering other than support someone uh, on their research agenda, either in a private or a public institution. So I was like, great, let's go to grad school, open more doors. And it was like really that blind of a decision. So I went to, uh, went to get my master's and showed up and I was the only master's student out of over 120 grad students. So I was really? like, I was the black sheep of like, we're all here slaving away for seven years. And this kid came for two to skate by. Like, so that was, <laughs> no, so was, you were just making friends left and right. Oh, I showed yeah. up in Texas and, uh, they sent me the paperwork, like fill this out, get registered. And I was like, uh, these are PhD papers. I'm, I'm not that I'm like, Oh, we don't have master's paperwork. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, I, I formally applied to this program. What are you talking about? And like it was because for PhDs who decide, Hey, this isn't the right track for me. You can kind of like slip out the side door and we'll like send you home with a little master's degree. <laughs> so I mean, all that to be said, programs like the one I attended at the university of Texas were, are now, um, putting more intentional effort into developing those programs for the things I had to find on my own, which was um, kind of more at the intersection of business, engineering, and medicine. So I had to kind of go like pave my own path. And they had just opened a new medical school and got a really cool internship opportunity there, going around the the, the health care system at UT, um, finding pain points, which tying that back to what I do now was my first experience doing true ethnography. Um, so found 240 pain points across three areas of interest. And then we would go back to the researchers, like the, the lab that I worked in, the professor who ran that lab, um, and would say, hey, if you're working on a technology that could potentially be applied to this problem, we'll help coach you through the venture process. How do we navigate the reimbursement pathways, the regulatory pathways, and so on and so forth. And that was my first time of like probably in six, seven, eight years of formal education. I was like, oh my God, this is actually what I want to do. And this wasn't all for waste. Yeah. So yeah, did that. That was probably just a huge relief. Uh, no, no, it was. It was amazing. And it was one of those oh, things thank like. God, I'm not wasting my time. <laughs> no, seriously. I was like, oh God, I'm be relegated to research forever. I mean, we were playing with high powered lasers, two stories below the ground level. It was just like a really dark environment. <laughs> no pun intended. So um, moved to Charlotte to work for the innovation team at Atrium Health. And it was an incredible experience. And so in the course of two years, had 200 to 250 of the top digital health startups come across our desk and really working on how do we, how do we do, how do we create value together? So like, as opposed to just every, a, a startup would always approach us. Cause we were like, like in Willy Wonka, we held the golden ticket, right? If you got a contract with us, you could go march down the street to any other system and say like, look who I worked with, look what we did. But for us, it was like, we had to say like, what, why did you pick us and why are you knocking on our door? And then also like, what can you do for us? Right. And that was a super cool approach, which not a lot of hospitals or organizations have traditionally been taking an incredible experience, worked there for two years. Um, and then through that innovation group, innovation as a whole is a super tight community. Um, Charlotte holds a bunch of other innovation groups, the Marriott innovation group, Newell Rubbermaid, um, Lowe's, which is one that obviously a friend of Skookum, um, and, brought me to Skookum um, to do like kind of a lunch and learn show and tell. And so I remember November of two years ago, sitting at the boardroom table across from Rome. I don't know why I was also sitting at the head of the table, like our CIO was on the side and whatnot and kind of like took some time to like ask about just how do you guys recruit? And um, at the innovation team at Atrium, I really drank the Kool-Aid on human centered design. Like how do we design with people for people and put the customer first and foremost and really was like, this is how every problem should be solved. Hearing that Skookum like really abided by those same principles within the strategy realm and outside of strategy and design and development was super refreshing and something that I really wanted to kind of pursue 
so spent a lot of time kind of sniffing it out. And obviously, Skookum's got an incredible culture that's people know word of mouth in Charlotte. And so um, that paired with a desire to come out to Denver, which I found out Skookum had an office out here, was kind of like what kind of put in motion the wheels for me to apply. Granted, I have I'm the farthest thing from a technologist working in a tech company, which is like, I mean, I think if we're going to say themes of my career in life, like imposter syndrome is <laughs> it's like up there at the top. In your defense, though, I feel like I've yet to talk to anybody in the tech world that doesn't feel like they suffer from imposter syndrome sure. to some extent. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, it's, it's like a blessing in disguise, right? It's like one of those things that you're forced, therefore, because of your potential insecurity that you may feel like you're forced to approach every problem with a fresh set of eyes and really like not assuming you know yeah. anything. And that's in the world of what we do now in digital strategy and customer experience, like that's required. I'm working on financial services project right now. And like uh, my investment portfolio does not look like your investment portfolio. It's so, like we're talking about that with folks now. So you were, you were at Atrium and then uh, you're sitting across the table with some of our folks and then decided you wanted to make the shift. But from when we've talked in the past, you you kind of took a different approach uh, to get your foot in the door at Skookum, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Interesting story. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I was like, okay, great. This is where I want to go. This is my ticket to Denver and spent a lot of time working with our head of people on like this interview process and kind of like I put a lot of effort into making sure I sounded like a technologist to like try and crush the interview. And I think I was interviewing for, I did a nine month job search and I think I was interviewing with Skookum for four months and I was, it was all because I wanted to go to Denver, Denver being a smaller office, um, and me coming on as someone who was not from the technology strategy realm. They wanted me to come on as an associate strategist and support multiple strategists, but at the time we only had one in Denver. So they were like, hey, just we're going to hire some more, and once we hire some more, then it'll be prime time for you to go out there. So, okay, sit tight. Two weeks later, hey, Mark, um, what's the update? Uh, haven't hired anyone yet. Two weeks later, hey, Mark, what's the update? Haven't hired anyone yet. And then eventually, just out of respect for me, they are like, you know what? we don't want you to wait for us. And I was like, no, no you, you're my ticket to Denver. It's <laughs> like, 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 I can't. I will wait. So I came on as an intern, um, which honestly was a blessing in disguise and something I think is, um, I've been super fortunate to have that experience um, for a couple of reasons. One, you're not allowed to work on client-facing projects when you're an intern. So I got to work on internal projects and worked with you, Brad, on obviously doing um, kind of marketing and branding strategy around our offerings and what are the words we use, what are the kind of the, the groups of offerings that really resonate with the market. And that was like, I mean, you're basically paid, quote unquote, <laughs> to, um, to like just learn about the industry that I was about to jump into. Um, on top of that, I got to be involved with our practice teams, which are the teams that are responsible for shaping these offerings and so I really got to like sit in on um, where we are like really rolling up the sleeves and saying okay what is it we need to start doing what are we not doing now and so that was like incredibly um, valuable experience and then um, a project came through the door made sense for me to jump on it so I was then brought on full-time did that first project for two or three months in Charlotte and then uh, I think it was July 1 actually was right when that wrapped up and they're like right you can go out to Denver and so I came out to so Denver why why Denver? Did you have a longstanding sort of hankering to, to get out yeah, here? Yeah, what was what was the desire yeah. to get out here? Well when I when I tell people about the the, the progression of cities I've lived in, I feel kind of like an a hole because I've like been fortunate to live in some like incredible places. So I, I grew up in South Florida, Miami and Fort Lauderdale, went to undergrad at Nashville. In Nashville, I uh, went to graduate school in Austin, Texas, then went to Charlotte, very hot young city. Um, and 
I learned a lot about myself in each of those. And Charlotte was um, not the rosiest two years, but some of the most valuable in terms of what I learned about myself and what I really learned through working with one of my key mentors, uh, who's a close family friend, um, was personally for me to be happy. Geography is a huge part of that. And she is someone who's a top exec out in Silicon Valley. And um, she's like, I've seen a lot of 40, 50, 60-year-old execs that I work with, and they're largely not happy because uh, of the geography they work in. And it's almost sacrifice that first year of your job to go to a place that you want to be, that you know you'll be happy in, and get your roots set for six to eight months. And then by like establishing those connections, meeting people, networking, that job that you want will kind of present itself as opposed to chasing a job somewhere and then really like, oh, wait, I, I want this job, but I hate the other part of my right. life. So, I mean, Denver was top of top of the list. Um, similar people to Austin, obviously, made an educated guess that there was a lot of great outdoor activities out here. Um, but it was about as far as I could go that would allow me to still be in like shooting distance of South Florida to go see my folks. So that was really where Denver came to become top of the list. And I think I did some, when I was doing interviews with Skookum, reached out to Paul and some other folks and kind of just got a, a pulse on like, why is it that you're here? What do you love about it? And you could tell that, I mean, Denver is a transplant city. It's, I, think yeah. I think in my eight months I've met maybe five to 10 people that have been here for over 20 years. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a testament to every other person in the city has made a point to come out here to obtain something they want. And that's something that's super refreshing that every person is like, they didn't get stuck here. They didn't get shipped off here and then get stuck. It's like, we've all had this realization and then made everything work so we can come out here and live the life we want. We ask everybody on the podcast this question, but nice. we believe that everybody's a nerd in some fashion. Oh yeah. What would you say are the thing is, is the thing or are the things that you nerd out on? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, all right, well, there's at a high level, our family are hu- is huge beer, food, and coffee nerds. Okay. Um, I think coffee specifically uh, started when I was in Austin. Austin's got some really snobby coffee shops, and I wrote my thesis at one for like four months, and those were the guys. It's a fleet coffee shop, shout out. Um, they were the guys who like taught me all about espresso and like great beans. And ironically, when I moved to Denver and had to live out in Lakewood because of my dog, the closest coffee shop is the roaster that uh, stocks all the beans for fleet. And so that oh, was like cool. a very stare. <laughs> it's called Sweet, Sweet Bloom Coffee Roasters, and I mean, they're top-notch incredible so that like i definitely nerd out there and um me and joel nerd out over doing our aero presses and our chemex pour overs in the morning which is super fun yeah and, with joel moving out here that's oh, going to be a, just oh, a coffee yeah, uh, exponentially going to nerd yeah, out just going to be a chemistry lab <laughs> of coffee over here yeah and beer is like the second thing um and charlotte 45 breweries in the metro area i was like in heaven and then you go out to yeah. Asheville and you got burial and i was like oh my god i mean like can't get any better Come to Denver, there's 80-plus breweries in the metro area, <laughs> yeah. and then not including once you go out to Frisco and Boulder and whatnot and hit up all these other breweries. So that alone has kept me busy in the first, like, four to five months, like, uh, between finding my roots and whatnot. And then uh, food's a classic one. I think this is not to be cliche and, like, further plug myself in Skookum. I've, like, really the, – the customer experience lens of looking at um, – product services and technology has been something I've like definitely nerd out now on a ton and go out with friends and oh, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. I'm a customer experience designer. What does that mean? Like, have you heard of UX UI? Yes. Okay. Let's zoom out one more level. And like, I'll typically be at a brewery and I'll be like, you and I came here, something triggered you to come here. It was me texting you. Then you had to commute here. You had to park, you had to walk inside, you had to go wait for a bartender to give you a drink. And all of those, all of those pieces of the experience drive positive or negative emotion that ultimately 
boils down to you in your head saying, yes or no, I will come back here. And yeah. so like <laughs> jobs to be done is something that I got into when I was in Atrium via Jay Gerhardt, former friend, yep. of, friend of the pod. Um, and that was something where like <laughs> one of our, one of my former coworkers, like uh, Ann Summers hog, like she, I remember a vivid story where she told me, my husband and I were picking like where to go for our, our honeymoon or our anniversary. And it was like, they did a jobs be done analysis on where they wanted to go. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, I need beach. I need this. I need that. And she's like, I need this, this and that. And then, okay, boom, Hawaii is the perfect spot. And so like really when you can take I'll these be theories, honest, though, <laughs> I don't know that I would need to do a jobs to be done analysis to be <laughs> to able to tell Hawaii. you that Hawaii is a great spot. <laughs> yeah. <for your> honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. That's a hundred percent true. Um, but yeah, so like things like that, um, and Tiff Terry, when we when I interviewed with her, same thing. She's like, I had to purchase a car and did a job to be done analysis. And I was like, okay, wow, these people like live and breathe these oh, yeah. frameworks. It's, yeah, it's crazy when we sit, sit down because this is, you know, coming from the art side and then entering into the tech world. Like this is a, a whole ecosystem that I'm learning, just kind of the depths of which it really goes, and you get people who who love exploring the depths of these frameworks. And it, it's just fun to sit back and watch how their brains work. Oh, sure. Rome. I mean, Rome will put stats to you at nauseum about it, which is like super cool. And it's actually like, I mean, I think I love it. It's, it's at the intersection of psychology and technology. Right. And so that's like where you're really picking apart what makes people tick and talk. And my mom in her past life was a psychotherapist. I'm one of those weird kids who was raised by a shrink. Um, it explains a lot. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. I typically lead with that. Way to bury Just to contextualize the, uh, <laughs> the conversation we're about to have. No. Um, so I think I've always been like someone who's super observant of people and like what they're doing, why they're doing it. And it, it's a gift and a curse. <laughs> you definitely like end up living in your own head some. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things that it's really applicable broadly. And so when talking about nerding out, once I've like now kind of drinking the Kool-Aid on these theories and see how they apply widely to everything, um, you really look at the world differently. And Lindsay and I were talking today about, I went and guest lectured yesterday and she was like, I would love to do that, but I don't think I have like a valuable perspective. And I was like, it's not like we're talking about investment or it's like stock trading where it's like, there are like explicit strategies that you need to memorize or learn and then apply those. It's like the strategies we learn really change how we look at the world and they're baked into your like subconscious once you really like practice them. And so it's, you have the perspective, you just don't objectively think you have it. Right. And so it's something that, everything you look at now is different. And that is what the power is. And you being a problem solver and being a, a brain and back to when I was like, why would you, they hire me as not a technologist. It's we can, as long as you're thirsty and as long as you're competent, we can teach you the skills to do it. Right. And so that was something that I think one very fortunate that Skookum took a gamble on me for that. Yeah. When I'm now dealing with customer service reps, I'm kind of a pompous a-hole about it. Yeah. Cause I'm like, lecturing them on why yeah. they are wronging me as a customer. And I mean, it's, it's, you look, you look at the customer service landscape very differently now that we are advising companies on what's your IVR strategy and how do you staff your call centers and how do you script those interactions and things. And I just recently had one of the worst customer experiences I've ever had with Airbnb, with any company ever. And it was with Airbnb. I spent three weeks over 10 phone calls with them. And it was like, it's also while I'm reading a book about it and I'm just like, 
I'm just sitting there lecturing. And so it's like, and you learn that like. And that usually, that usually goes really well. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. When of you're course. like, usually you, we already person. don't like each other, but let me tell you all the reasons why you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's a, exactly it. So yeah, I can definitely, it probably comes off as arrogant a little this bit. This poor person <laughs> on the other side of the phone. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. just like, I'm just trying to check out here in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I got, thankfully, this gem of a person on the phone. <laughs> She's, um, she was really valuing your input. Yeah. I, I can tell. Yeah, right. I mean, it was a quick, uh, yes, you're right, next. And I was like, no, 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 let's go back to that point really quick. <laughs> I don't think you heard what I said. Yeah, yeah. That's what I don't think you let me finish. I've had a lot of those conversations with uh, health insurance companies. So yeah, um, same thing. I'm totally with you there. Well, I mean, in health so. insurance, a very shady industry. So you're, yeah, yeah. Got, I mean, and a lot of times the problem with health insurance, a lot of people just, they don't know and therefore they, they're not informed or able to have that educated conversation, right? Um, but to your point, one thing I will do is like, pick up the phone for USAA and uh, will you please tell us what your complaints about customer service? Please tell us, I, we'd love to direct your call. Would you please customer service? Would you please? And you just know that if you do it three or four times, it automatically cuts you to customer service. And so it's like things like that. I'm the person burdening the system for which they're hiring me to overhaul. And like, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's not a great so, example you know, of how I'm using it, but it is weird how when you really put the customer first, your business prospers. Sure. It's yeah. a crazy concept. I mean, <laughs> You know. Well, I remember listening to a podcast while I was at Atrium, and, and they basically said companies always have to make a, a choice to then to go. You, your choice goes from focusing on the customer, and then you have to make a choice, typically with regards to your fiduciary stakeholders, to then go for growth. And you can't do both. I mean, you can, but that choice is done subconsciously. And the, the anecdote I used to like describe that is like if Brad and I started a lemonade stand, we're going to have 10 customers. You and I will know every customer by name, by face. And then like, okay, we want to go hit that 100 person mark we're going to bring on josh to be a salesperson and when we bring on josh to be a salesperson we've now added one layer of insulation between you and i as the founders and then the customers and that choice to bring on josh was to achieve growth but by doing that we've now removed ourselves from the front lines which any large company like the people making the decisions are removed from the front lines but when you're the size of a large bank that we work with or someone like the layers of insulation are so much so that the people making the decisions have not really gotten out to the ground got out of the building and gone to the ground floor and talked to customers for a long time. So one thing that's super cool, what we do is every project, like as a scientist, one thing I love about the processes that we use, it's a scientific approach to customer research and solutioning. First thing we always do, ethnography, get out there, talk to people. And like, I'm going to walk into a boardroom with a bunch of bank execs and like, look, one, you've got kids that are older than me. So I know you know more about banking than I do. And I'm not here to tell you about banking. I'm just here to kind of be the messenger to tell you what your people are saying. And that's very powerful often because they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. You can argue it, but it's like, that's a quote. I didn't make that up. That's not like right. me paraphrasing. And so like that really is a, an epiphany a lot of our clients have, I think. Jeremy, thank you for spending some time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome. Until next time, everybody, stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.